Welcome to Health Hackers episode 63. My guest today is award-winning pediatric physiotherapist Nicole Pates joining us from Perth in Western Australia where she's the director and founder of Western Kids Health, a community designed for infants to teens specializing in physical, cognitive and emotional development. Additionally, Nicole set up and leads the Baby Play Academy, an online program designed to help parents take evidence-based early intervention strategies with their little ones to support development through talking, moving, and playing within their first 18 months. She's also a mom of two, who sometimes gives us an insight into physical play and development with her own children through her Instagram account, where she has more than 137,000 followers. That's at Nicole underscore Kids Physio. Before we begin, a quick note to new viewers and listeners, anything you hear or see on Health Hackers should not be considered personal or medical advice. You know the score, always talk to your health provider about your concerns. Nicole, welcome. Thanks, Gemma. Thanks for having me. I'm so pleased to be able to speak to you, not just because you have such a wealth of knowledge for everyone listening and watching, but also because I'm a first time relatively new mum. And it's really struck me how there can be this sense of urgency when it comes to baby development milestones. I know your anxiety around this area was part of why you founded the Baby Play Academy. So to kick us off, um, could you tell us, do we really need to be stressed over how soon our baby can sit, crawl, stand? And if so, what are the most important milestones we need to be concerned about in that first year of our baby's life? Oh, thanks. That's a huge question to start with, Gemma. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. And I think like I'm speaking with lots of um, new parents and lots of not so new parents as well that have have, um, have been through you know the parenthood journey. It's really tricky that transition from being a couple or being a, a, a person and then being responsible for a little one. And our society, um, obviously I'm from Australia, so I speak in an Australian context, but um, what we're seeing is that our, our society on a whole is much more achievement-driven in terms of what, what are the measures of success? How do you know that you're doing well in your life? How do you know that, you know, you're giving your child every opportunity? And when little ones are born, motor development is the most obvious um, thing that is occurring and the most obvious things used that people tend to use as markers for your success as a parent which is not true and it has their motor development is unique to your little one and there are so many interacting factors around that it's impossible for you to control their motor development but it's almost something that you see as your responsibility to take on so a lot of like you know we, go, we have a child health nurse here in Australia and we go to our child health nurse or a gen, general practitioner for a checkup and they're like, is your baby rolling? And they've got their tick chart and you're like, oh my God, is it? Am I meant to be helping them do that? Is that my responsibility? Have I failed my baby? And so there becomes this sort of anxiety around milestones and especially physical milestones in that first 18 months because they are the most obvious development that is occurring. Um, not just from my, oh my gosh, I'm getting asked at my appointments if this is happening, but also when you um, hang out with your friends and their little ones that, well, their little one's doing that, is my little one, what should they be doing that? And it creates this sort of uncertainty and that that feeling that you should be doing more to make your child, make your child advance quicker in their physical milestones. And I always laugh when I see the programs that get advertised all over the internet. It's like, let's make your child a genius in three months. Let's have them walk crawling by five months. And it's um, it's just it's just tricky. There's obviously things that we can do to 
um, optimize their natural de development curve, but you can't, you can't, every baby cannot be crawling by eight and a half months because there's so, so much variety in development that that is, it's a normal spectrum of variety. So for any scientists out there that we talk about bell curves, there's lots and lots of data in um, monitoring motor development across um, different cultures as well. And different cultures will have different um, developmental sequences and different things like that. Um, for example, um, in Papua New Guinea, which is near Australia, um, they carry their babies a lot because of the hazards and the dangers associated with putting your little ones on the floor. And so their babies don't tend to crawl, they tend to sit and then walk. Um, and that's that's perfectly um, appropriate in their culture and um, the risk of, of, of life versus keeping our babies safe. You know, that's that's appropriate. And then their little ones are not any worse off for it. Um, so I get really, I guess why I started the Baby Play Academy and my Instagram was that I was a little bit frustrated in, in especially in lockdown times when we were all on social media, because what else is there to do? And you were almost made to feel like, okay, well, it's my responsibility to get my baby moving. And like, it's our responsibility to provide opportunity, but we're not forcing the, the movement. Um, and I have to have them crawling. They have to be crawling by eight and a half months. Otherwise they're delayed. And that word delayed comes with such heaviness to it and that you know that that almost that anxious feeling I just wanted to put out the message that the the variety in motor development is normal and that motor development is not just about genetics it's also about your little one's personality and their motivation um we all see little ones that are just so dead keen to move that they will destroy your house in two seconds whereas other will be happy to sit there and play with you know, a cardboard tube for 20 minutes. <laughs> so it, all their, their little personality and their motivation behind what they're doing also affects their motor development, their body systems and their biomechanics, the types of muscle tone they have, their joint flexibility, um, you know, their um, environment. So, you know, what is in their environment? What do they, are there things that they can pull up on or crawl over or roll around? Do they have floor space? Um, what opportunities in terms of um, one thing we can do as parents is the way that we hold and move them in different directions um, or providing new, and I'm going to say toys in brackets because toys can be a toilet roll or a, you know, a cardboard roll or a um, plastic milk carton or there's lots of different things that you can provide, but new things to explore. Um, and most importantly, the foundation of motor development is your connection to your child, so your attachment. And people forget that that, that is really the key component for your little one to have the to feel safe enough and to feel that security to want to explore their environment and to want to explore their body movements and almost be that little scientist figuring things out with the world. But they need they need that secure connection with you and that trust within you um, to be able to safely do that and, and to have the confidence to do that. And we we see it in clinic all the time that little ones come in and. They may be delayed, but, and it's not just their motor development. There's, you know, trauma that's happened within the family or there's other things happening that, you know, that are affecting that connection and that feeling of safety. And it's not until that is settled that they will then start to progress in their motor development. Um, and when I say to parents, babies are beautiful because they adapt and they're so, their brains are so beautiful when they adapt. So um, never blame or say, oh, no, it's my, I've done this or that, because babies just adapt to different things and grow beautiful. Gosh, I had no idea that a physical attachment or a, an emotional attachment could impact a physical 
development within a baby but yeah of course it makes perfect sense when you say it if they feel safe in their environment they're more likely to explore and push their own boundaries physically so what in that first kind of year what would we or should we be worried about if anything because it sounds like we don't need to stress about it but if there was a marker within that first year that if we didn't reach there might be something to worry about what would it be yeah, I have a few little key ones, like little checking points that are not your typical ones that we talk about in terms of tummy time and things like that. Um, I always think of the big things, so from a physical point of view and a physiotherapist, um, if you see your little one loses skills, and I'm not talking about that they rolled from their tummy to their back at eight weeks and then they've sort of forgotten, almost that you see that they're no longer reaching or they're no longer able to hold their head up or they're no longer able to take weight through their legs. So if, they, if they're kind of losing skills and you're like, oh, that's a flag to check in. If you feel that they're just not gaining skills, so it's been, you know, six weeks, two months and nothing has really changed and, and then you feel like they've plateaued, that might be a time to check in as well. Um, or there's that general general delay where, you know, they're not, smiling and giggling and interacting with you at six months and they're, they're not physically where you think they should be and, and you feel that you feel that there's something generally up that of course check in if you feel that um or if you're noticing asymmetry so flat you know that their heads always turn to one side or they're only using one side of their body so they're the kind of big um check-in markers and then in terms of development I, I always think of almost in like little quarters so by three out of the newborn stage, so about by about 16 weeks, we want them to be able to hold their head in the centre, whether they be on their tummy or their back, and that they're starting to explore with their hands in front. By about six, seven months, we want them to be sort of reaching from their tummy and, and starting to roll. And then by eight months, if you sit up, they should be able to kind of hold themselves steady by eight months if you sit, pop them down. Not they don't need to be able to get into sitting, but if you pop them in sitting, by about eight months, they should be able to, to hold themselves there and have that postural control. Nine months, you want them to be taking weight through their feet and happily. Now, people say, but I go to put my baby down and fling their feet up. That's a bit different. They don't want to do it. Um, and they're telling you, I don't want to do that. But if you can, you know, sit them, stand them off your lap and they're happy to take weight through their feet at nine months. Um, by 10 months, generally, we want to see them on their hands and knees rocking, but not all babies crawl, so that's okay. 12 months, we want to see them on the move in some shape, whether it be crawling or, you know, if any American physio to listen, to be like, Nicole, bum shuffling, or if they're just exploring their environment and they're moving. Um, and then by 15 months, we want them to be seeing them close to taking steps, almost like that you're kind of waiting for it to happen. So they're pulling up and they're cruising. They might not be taking steps yet, but they're, you know, they're starting to explore their environment in that upright position. So you mentioned how some babies go from sitting to walking, like the ones in Papua New Guinea you mentioned. Uh, how important is the crawling stage? Are there benefits to having a crawling stage or is it better for the body to go from sitting to walking? I do love crawling only um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, it obviously, obviously when you think of bubs and their development, there's like a tip, you see the typical curve of where they, you know, push up on tummy time and then they roll and then they sit and then they crawl and then they walk. And we have to remember that motor development isn't linear and some babies might pull to stand before they crawl or they might sit 
before they um before they crawl and they might crawl before all of those things and so there's uh, there's a few different variations of all paths lead to Rome and you want to be seeing that progression I love crawling because it um helps bubs develop the hand strength and the shoulder strength and that neck strength of being able to look upright and back strength and it gives them a different position however all of those benefits can be gained if your baby crawls after they've started walking so if you do lots of climbing or tunnels and different things after they've started walking as well so just because they've started walking doesn't mean those that crawling no longer has those benefits um there was some research a long time ago where they looked at the baby's brain like while they were crawling and they were like wow while they're crawling both of the sides are working at the same time and that was the extent of the research but that has been extrapolated into crawling causes the both of the sides of the brain to communicate which I don't know like you know so does walking so does stair climbing so does climbing so does running so does skipping like anything where you're using or jumping where you're using both sides of the body in that um alternating fashion will still work the brain in that fashion um so I feel like that that is kind of one that you like we oh my god they have to crawl to be able to have their brain develop correctly I don't I don't think that's correct um and I would like to see more evidence on that um for that statement and in particular with crawling and that those I, I do I do love it but yes climbing and other things and, and bubs it depends on your environment if you're in lockdown and you have a tiny apartment and one play area there's not going to be much opportunity for crawling like you know tiny little space and most of the time you'll see a baby just do a tiny bit of a crawl that's half of a you know get out of sitting keep one leg out take two steps keep the leg out and go back because they're they're moving in and out of sitting all the time whereas if you have a really long hallway or a really big open space that's when you'll see babies start to do the hands and knees and crawl for a long distance and so the other thing with crawling is that it depends on their environment and their maturity and their motivation. So your little ones, your really little ones will do lots of different types of crawling and, you know, work up there like caterpillar on their, or, you know, on their commando and then they go to caterpillar and then they finally get up on their hands and knees and others will just sit there and watch all the other babies doing it, sitting, and then they'll just crawl from sitting. So they'll just come down into crawling and off they go. And I think it's important that we celebrate that diversity because it doesn't have to be a perfect linear, like perfect approach that everybody goes through the same idealistic this, then that, and this, and that. Um, lots of, yeah, so they, I think we have to celebrate that all their little brains are different and they all process and do things in different ways. Um, and rather than trying to make everybody fit into one pathway, providing opportunities for them to use their body and strengths, all the physios out there know that, you know, Crawling can get strength here and here, but we can do that through other ways too, kneeling play and other things and wheelbarrows and lots of types of things. So I think that we have to shift that lens to be broader. That's a very big statement that I'm probably going to get a lot of interesting messages on Instagram. Right. It's fascinating. I'm I'm wondering also now about walking. Like, mm. um, Is there anything a parent can do to help encourage walking? I'm curious about those baby walkers I've seen for sale online, but are they a help or a hindrance for healthy development? Well, I did see that you um, did mention something about baby walkers. So it's really important. This is this type of baby walker. And then there's this type of baby walker. So one, this one is can be plastic or wooden, but basically it's a toy that your baby has to pull themselves up 
to stand and push to, they have to use their own muscle forces and their own sort of strength and motivation to generate that power to walk the walker. You don't need a baby walker. You can just use an upside down washing basket or a cardboard box. Or most Lots of babies will just push anything that can slide along the floor. Um, these ones, which are the, the almost seated where you put baby in a seat and there's wheel like a, a square around the seat with wheels on the corner, on each corner. That's a wheeled walker. Um, they're banned in Canada and they're not recommended in Australia. From the perspective, well, there's a few different perspectives, but the main one, the main reason why they're banned is the um, wheels around the edges catch on um, electrical cords, changes in surfaces, um, you know, anything on the floor and they tip and there's been... A, a number of fractures and incidences where babies have hurt themselves because they can't get out of, like they're falling from like a force. Um, so they're banned in Canada and they're not recommended in Australia. I'm not sure about America, um, but, you know, like we have stairs, so it would never be a go in our house anyway. The other thing that um, we have to think about with this one is it's a container that our baby is placed in and they're... Um, not using their own muscle forces to get in to choose to walk. So often they're being a little put in there a little bit earlier than they should be, um, which can, depending on the size of the seat that they're sitting in, can impact their hip development. Um, but also they might be up on their toes a little bit. And often the boxes of these um, types of walkers and standers, um, you know, just the regular standers, which I don't mind, but they will say on the box, on the label, baby should be on their toes. And I think that is a statement of sort of covering to make sure that babies isn't weight bearing through their feet too early and protecting that hip development. Whereas we don't want them on their toes from a physical therapy point of view, we want them on their feet and being able to weight bear through their feet. But if they're being put in at four, five, six, seven, you know, six months, they, that's too early for their, their hip development and their body and their postural control, their head control and their trunk control. And so that's why they, the label says toes, but I don't I don't love I don't love those ones and I don't really love putting Bub in a standing device before you know seven they have to be confidently taking weight through their feet themselves um we used a stander with my older son for about two hours before he figured out how to climb out of it and then it was too dangerous to use so we had he's a bit of one of those ones that has a lot of internal motivation um so he was standing in it quite happy and then he was like I'm bored and so he just climbed out and nearly smacked his head on the tiles so that wasn't you know, you've got to consider that factor as well, that babies can climb out of them if they want to. And about weight bearing on the mm. feet, mm. let's talk about shoes. So my 11 month old is almost always barefoot. Uh, hopefully she will learn to walk at some point. And me as a new parent, do I need to know anything about shoes? Are there any that help or hinder with walking skills? So you have to remember that the feet are like, the scent, the, your bub sensory input and your little one, their brain map of their body and their like figuring out their surroundings and how their body interacts, that's all still developing. So when they're learning to walk, their feet are in contact with the ground and that's, that's really the key to their balance system. So yes, barefoot is best. However, the first time you need to wear shoes shouldn't be the first time you're putting shoes on or as a parent, it's probably going to not end well for you. <laughs> and we've, I've been there, I've done that, um, you know, because there are times where it's really cold or really hot on the surface 
or there are, um, you know, like really sharp bits and hazards that you might need your little one in shoes for. So the first time you're wearing shoes shouldn't be the first time that they need to be wearing shoes. So I would play with shoes and try shoes on earlier, but still spend the majority of the time barefoot um, before they're walking. So once your little one is up and taking their first wobbly steps, it takes anywhere between two to four months for them to consolidate that and, and start to look like they're actually walking around without their arms up and waddling side to side. Um, so at that stage, we really still want them to be having the most sensory feedback they can in their feet. So I think about with shoes that we would like to have shoes that um, pass the scrunch test. So shoes that you can sort of fold and scrunch so they're really flexible because um, they should just be basically protective coverings for the foot. I still like them to be adjustable, so have something to make them tighter around that 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 sort of heel area so that they fit nice and snug and they're not slipping and sliding. Um, and also that the sole is thin but, but protective. But when you think of the toe and the heel, baby's feet are really wide, um, which is normal because their bones are still developing, they have fat pads, they're beautiful squishy little feet but you want the toes to be wide which they almost are a little bit wider than the heel themselves so the toe toe box should be as big if not bigger than the heel does that make sense that does I'm yeah I'm busy taking notes here oh. this is great <laughs> um and then like obviously as their walking progresses you can progress to a bit more of a um a thicker sole but still quite flexible in in a shoe um, with a little bit of like, you know, that heel support, but still adjustable, but really like spend as much time barefoot as you can because that helps their little muscles and bones develop and that sensory and the balance, their toe muscles and um, what we call the intrinsics of the feet. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense when you outline it that way. Um, talking about uh, their kind of movement, and I, I know I've seen you use the term purposeful play before. Can you give us some examples of purposeful play for a baby under the age of 18 months? Yes. Now, I this is my, like the way I frame this term. I think that I didn't realise that I was a very playful person. So, you know, when I'm with the kids or any kids, not just my kids, but working in paediatrics, you know, someone will say something and we'll just start singing a song about it. So like, you're a star. We'll be like, twinkle, twinkle, little star. We'll just break into a song or, you know, make a game or start an imagination. And I didn't, I guess I didn't realise how playful and creative I was as a person. And speaking to, to mums in the pandemic, um, I find that some people find it really hard to play or how to play and you know what what do I do what do I need to do what do I say and it is it's hard like if you're not naturally a playful person like I'm that person at the park that will you know be like okay yep all right I'll play with you like you show me this stick like let's play a game kids whereas my husband will be like oh no he's all right but there are some people that be like no no I don't like I just my, my child's happy please don't come near me which is fine everybody's different um but I turn, I use the term purposeful play more for a parent perspective because your little one will be playing all the time. That's their job. Um, I think that sometimes as parents we want to do things and so purposeful play almost gives you something that you can do without doing too much. So it's like this is an activity that you can set up that your little one can interact with and these are the benefits, but you don't actually need to do anything. And they're like, oh, cool. Right. And so you, it's more of an understanding of why and how and 
how you can role model that as play so that they can see. So you, you have a water bottle with rice in it and you go, shake, 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 shake. Or you go roll, roll, and then, you know, you pass it to your little one. So you model that and then they can, you know, explore that bottle. And when you see them shake it, they can, you can go, shake, shake, shake. And so it's more of that modelling and describing and interacting in terms of the purposeful play. But really, babies just play all the time, except when they cry. Um, but they play all the time to explore their world. So this is more of more of a term for parents to um, help them if they're struggling with play and, and setting up play or setting up play opportunities. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's where it came from. This might be a, on a bit of a tangent, but... Does screen time, so any screen, TV, tablet, phone, affect a child's physical muscular development in any way? When we're talking about, you know, babies, if they're watching screens. Well, it can. It can in a number of ways. Um, it can motivate them to take steps. If you're, no, I'm if you're using your phone and they really want your phone, it can positively impact. Um, but it can um, it can also negatively impact your child's be unhelpful. I don't like to use the terms positive and negative. It can be unhelpful um, if it's reducing the opportunities for physical development or physical physical movement. Um, and it can also be unhelpful for their visual development. So there's a lot of research, even pre-pandemic times, about um, short-sightedness in kids and the amount of screen time. Um, impacting visual development because if little one's vision will continue to develop until they're eight, nine, ten, um, you know, the shape of the eyes, the way the eyes muscles move. And being outside offers an opportunity to um, focus from into the distance to close, to track things from far away that are moving, lots of different opportunities um, that aren't offered on a, on a screen. Um, and so there was there's a lot of research that shows a lot of screen time can impact visual development and, and create short like that epidemic of myopia so short-sightedness um so it can it can and it really um it just like you know it depends on how and why and you're using it like if you're a if you're at home all day by yourself and you know you're you're you need to cope and you need 20 minutes of tv like you know in my mind your mental well-being and coping and that security foundation for attachment is the most important thing. Whereas, um, you know, that's, yeah, so it's depending on a how and a why and, and things like that. Well, that's fascinating. So remind me again, what was the age range of the, the site development? So all the way from babies up to like closer to 10 is that a lot of that visual development. So like they're even like, you know, your four or five-year-olds are still developing that field of vision and, and different things. So um, it's really interesting. Like we often see little five-year-olds or six-year-olds and be like, oh, you know, like, how can they not see that? <laughs> They're just, it's because their visual system is still developing, not only from the visual system, but how their brain sort of understands and makes sense of that visual information. So there's still lots of changes occurring within that their, their systems. Um, and I think sometimes we forget because they are six-year-olds or eight-year-olds, so much like little adults, Um that we forget that these things are changing all the time. So certainly up until the age of 10, we need to be mindful of screen time. Well, I um, think even after that, it can still affect vision, like if you're having too much of it. Um, but that's a really key time point in development. It's just not, the kids are just not getting enough outside time. 
I can see we are just about up on time, but I have one more question for you. Mm. Um, what is the most important tip you could give any parent of an under 18 month old uh, to help them develop their physical strength in the best way? All right, well, I'm going to stick with the, the screen just for a minute. I think it's really hard as a parent because you can make yourself feel so guilty. So I have a little thing that I go by is green time greater than screen time, which means if you're going to spend time watching TV, try and spend it as much, if not a little bit more outside because that the outside offers so many motor development opportunities and not from just visual development, but physical development um, and in terms of exploring and testing their physical boundaries. So I love green time. So that's probably one big thing. But also as a parent, for your little ones under 18 months, variety is the spice of life. And that's like often we get caught in the trap of doing the same thing, staying at home in that routine, but try and mix it up. Where are you doing things? What are you doing? When are you doing things? Um, how you're holding your baby, the positions that you play in, the rooms that you play in. Um, because our role as parents just is to support their development, to create that independent, resilient, confident little munchkin. Um, and to do that, we provide opportunity and attachment and security. So that variety and that fun, if we can make it fun, because for kids it's all about play and play is engaging for them. But not every parent has to be fun. But if you can provide that opportunity and that security and attachment, I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that you can do. That's so great to know. But I just, I know I said that was the last question, but you mentioned there how we hold our babies. Is that because we should be mixing it up? Yeah, so, well, you know, like it's scary having a baby and you're like, oh, and you hold it like a pancake. Um, But you have to remember that babies are 3D and they have, you know, three. it's like if you went to the gym and you just did sit-ups and nothing else. Like you've got to work your obliques and your glutes and do different things. So if you can, you know, hold them on their tummy, hold them on the side, pick them up from the side, pick them up from their tummy and give them different opportunities to use different muscles, then that's fantastic. Like it's, you know, tummy time's great. But I think if we can, you know, remember sideline and back play and holding them in different ways and picking them up in different ways, and then that's like really early, like under 12 weeks, I think that's the biggest thing that we could all do differently because the focus is so much on tummy time that you like forget that there's all these other different muscles and movements that, that can, be, can be helped by different opportunities. Oh, Nicole, this has been so insightful. Thank you so much. That's okay. Hopefully it's been helpful. Hopefully it helps parents know that they've, they've got this, their little one, and you know your little one best and you know your little one's personality best. Um, and it's all about that connection and, and having fun together in unique and different ways and, and exploring the world together. I think that's the most magical thing about being a parent is experiencing that wonder through your child's eyes again and seeing them light up when they you know discover something or master a new skill and yeah it's just the best feeling yes it really is magical um health hackers viewers and listeners thank you for being with us i will put the links of where you can find nicole uh, in the summary text that goes with this video and podcast if you're watching on youtube hit subscribe for regular videos if you're watching or listening to this through facebook spotify or apple Podcasts, you can opt to follow the show there too thank you and bye-bye 